Yates Pool. Has anyone here ever heard of a place called Yates Pool? Show of hands, a couple people. All right, well, Yates Pool, let me tell you a little bit about it. During the Great Depression of the uh, 1930s, uh, there was a man named Ira Yates, and he went to West Texas uh, seeking to start um, a successful sheep farm. And so there he was, he bought a, a nice large plot of land um, and, and started to endeavor in this business. Now, the struggle was uh, that as time went on, uh, he was not making the money that he needed uh, in order to provide for his family and to pay his bills. And so what ended up happening was he had to, he kind of was getting in trouble with the government because he wasn't able to uh, pay for the things that were going on. He had little money for clothes or for food, um, like many others during the Depression, um, and he had to live on the government subsidy from that. So day after day, he would look out over his sheep, and he would rack his brain, trying to figure out a way to pay all of his bills. Now one day, a crew came to him, and they said, hey, we think that we can find some resources on your land, and we would like to research and see if those are here. And he was kind of reluctant because he had these dreams of being a sheep farmer. But eventually he gave in and he allowed them to start researching on his land. So they started doing their tests. They started drilling. And uh, at one point they drilled to a depth of 1,115 feet and they found something that would change his life forever. Now a little bit later, I will tell you what it was that changed his life. But uh, for now, I want you, uh, you to understand, a lot of times, we live our lives as Christians, as people like this sheep farmer. We kind of are hoping for a certain success. We are hoping uh, to be carrying out the things that we need to be doing, but we don't realize the treasure, the immense value that we have sitting right underneath us as Christians. Um, this morning, we are going to encounter uh, what the Apostle Paul is telling to the church in Rome. We are going to see that he challenges them to have two things. He challenges them to claim the gospel as their identity, and he challenges them to claim the gospel as their mission. So that's what we are looking at today. If you don't claim the gospel as both your identity and your mission, you will live your Christian life as a powerless imposter. And we don't want to live our lives as a powerless imposter, do we? We don't want to go along uh, pretending, living on spiritual government subsidies, you could say. But no, we want to flourish. So that's why we are looking to claim the gospel as our identity and our mission. Now, some of you may be thinking, okay, claim the gospel as our identity and mission. Maybe that's a big deal. Well, let me illustrate for you. Uh, let's say in your workplace, if you were to say, I'm not going to claim uh, my, my position in my workplace as my identity and my mission, here's what it might look like. So your boss comes up to you, and let's say uh, you work at a cash register. You, there, you go there, and you, you ring people up uh, so that they can uh, purchase some items. Well, let's say... 
your boss comes up to you and the other cash uh, register operators and says, all right, here's what I would like you to do this week. When a, when a customer comes up, you need to see how much all their items cost and then, then add it up and show them how much they need to pay. Well, let's say you, you reject that as your identity and you say, you know what? I don't want to be a cash register operator. I want to be the CEO. So I want to be in charge of this company. I want to do something else. I want that to be my identity. That really wouldn't work out very well, and you probably wouldn't have a job for very much longer. So that's why it's so important that we accept the gospel as our identity. Now, as our mission, let's say uh, you were to go up to your boss and say, all right, okay, I accept that I'm a cash register operator. I accept that's my position, uh, and that's great. I'll wholeheartedly do that. But I don't think my mission is to uh, ring people's items up. I think my mission is to give people smiley face stickers as they walk out the door with all the merchandise they picked up. Well, that's not going to go very well either because you're not going to get a paycheck. The business is going to be losing money, and you'll probably get fired or maybe even arrested. I don't know. Uh, but that's why it's so important for us to claim the correct thing as both our identity and our mission. And we see Paul is a great example of doing this, all right? If you don't claim the gospel as your identity and mission, you will be a powerless imposter. So let's take a look at the first thing. The first action that we must do in order to claim the gospel as our identity and mission is to identify your mission field. To identify your mission field. Go ahead and write that in your notes uh, this morning that can be found in your bulletin. Who here is familiar with Tinker Toys? Anybody ever play with Tinker Toys before? Yes, I grew up uh, playing with Tinker Toys. They're actually 100 years old, 1913 is when they were introduced. And what people love about Tinker Toys is you kind of get this box of a whole bunch of different pieces, and some are round and have holes on the end, and some of them are you know, like a little stick there, and you can just kind of build something. You can kind of tinker. That's why it's called Tinker Toys. So you can come over here, and maybe you try to build, like, uh, a little pyramid, or maybe you come over here, and you try to build a house or a building. But the thing about Tinker Toys is there's not really any directions. You just kind of do what you want to do, and if it doesn't really work out, you can go and do something else. Never, never deciding, this is what I'm trying to do with Tinker Toys. And it's the same way with our Christian life. If we never identify our mission field, look at the instructions, understand what is it we are trying to do as a Christian, if we never identify that mission field, we will just be tinkering around. Maybe in sharing the gospel, we tinker a little. We say, you know what, I'll, I'll pray for my friends who don't know the Lord. And then that kind of doesn't work out and and then you say, well, maybe I'll come over here and I'll go to a seminar and uh, I will try to uh, learn different strategies of sharing what Jesus has done in my life. And that doesn't really work out. But rather than just tinkering around, we need to identify what is the mission field God has given to us. And we see that. Uh, we see Paul doing that. Uh, Paul identified his own mission field. Look with me uh, at verse 13. He starts explaining that he has this strong passion to be encouraging the Christians that are in Rome. So he wants to go to Rome. Uh, as far as we see in Scripture, Paul had not been to Rome yet, but he had heard about the faith of the Christians who were there in Rome. Look at what it says uh, from verses 8 
through verse verse 12. He listen to his passion. He says, "I first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world." Now, first of all, that's pretty impressive that we have Christians here in Rome whose faith is being proclaimed throughout the known world. That is something that we should aspire to and ask God that our faith would spread uh, like that as well. But he continues, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So Paul has this passion. God has given him this passion. He wants to go and reach out to the people in Rome. And some of us may be like that. Some of us may say, I really have a passion to reach out to the Spanish-speaking people of the Aurora Uh, of the Aurora area. Some people may say, I have a passion to go share the gospel with uh, people who are of the belief system of Islam or Hinduism. That's great. God has given you that, but right now, he has placed us in a certain mission field. And that's what Paul says too. Verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but he explains that he has been prevented from carrying that out. Now you might think, wait, God had given him this passion to go reach out to certain people, but he's preventing him? Why would that happen? And here's what he says. I've thus far been prevented, verse 13, that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul is there, we believe, in Corinth. He's in Corinth there uh, among other Gentiles carrying out his opportunity to share the gospel with those in Corinth. All right? And the people that are in Rome, just as an aside so you understand, there are both Jews in Rome and there are Greeks or Gentiles. And so uh, at some point, uh, actually it was in the year A.D. 49, Emperor Claudius decided, you know what? I don't want all these Jews in Rome. So Emperor Claudius kicked them all out. So they all had to leave. All right? Well, then, a few years later, in AD 54, he passed away. And so that edict lapsed. So all the Jews were able to come back uh, to their home there in Rome. Um, and uh, so then about three, uh, three years later is about when Paul's writing this in AD 57. So there had been some Jews uh, who had gone back to Rome already. So that's who Paul is writing to, uh, just so that you understand that. Well... If you're here this morning, I want to ask you, what is your mission field? Have you identified what it is that God has called you to do while you are here living in the Aurora area? Adults, is it your workplace? Is it the people that you work with day in and day out and that you're building relationships with, you have friendships with, and maybe you've never started a conversation? Is that your mission field? Moms, stay-at-home moms, is it your neighborhood or other people that you know through school uh, or, or things like that? Students, is it your school? Uh, whether you're in college or high school or middle school or grade school, is that the mission field that God has called you to go share Jesus with your friends? 
Well, whatever it is, I want to give you just a second. There's a space in your notes where you can write down one place where God could be calling you to have as your mission field right now. So there, uh, why don't you go ahead and take about 30 seconds. Think what might be your circle of influence or your mission field that God has for you right now. Now I want to challenge you to take it one step further. Maybe you've identified, okay, it's my workplace. My coworkers, those are the people that God has placed me around so I can be sharing the gospel with them. I want you to take it one step further and write down the name of three friends. Uh, They don't have to all be in your circle of influence. It could be uh, a friend uh, or, or a neighbor or a relative that you know doesn't know the Lord. Go ahead and write down in those three spaces those three names of people that you can be actively wanting uh, to share what Jesus has done in your life. If God hasn't already shown you a different mission field, a different circle of influence, I want to challenge you to take this and identify it as your mission field. Say, you know what? I claim it. This is going to be where I am going to live out my faith among my peers. We see Paul really encouraging uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. You know, this series is called Rhythm. This is our last, um, our last uh, sermon in the series about rhythm finding your rhythm in different areas of life. And if you want to find rhythm in sharing Jesus, um, we need to understand that we can preach the word both in season and out of season. And what does that mean? In the agricultural world, it means when you're bearing fruit uh, and when it's not bearing fruit. Both of those times, we can be ready to continue to encourage those people. So identify and seek to reach your mission field. Now, as a way of reminder if we don't claim the gospel as our identity and our mission, we will be powerless imposters. And that is not what we want to do. So to claim the gospel as your identity and mission, you need to first identify your mission field and second, understand who it is that needs the gospel. Understand who needs the gospel. This past week, I heard uh, what I thought was a pretty funny quote, um, and uh, it, it went something like this. It said, uh, well, first, I'll, I'll say this. Have you ever seen someone really desperate to get an internet connection? It's almost comical sometimes, people walking around trying to get their cell phone uh, to be connected to, to the wireless internet or, you know, moving their thing around or trying to plug into, I've even seen ads where the guy's walking down the hall and he's plugging into different places uh, down the wall. But it's, it's funny and almost comical to see people so desperate for an Internet connection. Oh, I need this. Oh, no, my Wi-Fi is not working. What am I going to do? I'm not sure. Um, but I saw this quote that uh, kind of painted a, a good picture. It said, imagine if trees gave off Wi-Fi signals. We would be planting so many trees, and we'd probably save the planet, too. Okay, now, I don't necessarily agree with all that it says, but it's funny that, uh, that that's so true. Oh, man, if this tree was going to give off Wi-Fi, I would definitely plant it. But then uh, the quote finishes, 
Too bad trees only produce the oxygen that we breathe. That's really a bummer, isn't it? That it's only oxygen that it's providing for us. Um, but, uh, but that's something. Oxygen is something that everyone needs. We all need it. And as we look at understanding who needs the gospel, we can see very easily that all people need the gospel. Only, and, and as I was saying before, I didn't really agree with all of that thing. I don't think planting trees can save the planet. I don't think oxygen can save the planet. I don't think Wi-Fi can save the planet. Jesus is the only one who can save the planet. Amen? Amen. Well, um, as, we, as we continue in our passage that Paul has written to the Romans, we're going to see two different contrasts, two different groups of people that, uh, that do need the gospel, and then we're going to see a third that he, he will explain for us as well. So the first uh, group of people that needs the gospel is both the educated and the simple. Both the educated and the simple. Now, Paul says uh, in, the, in the passage, verse 14, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians. So he says, I'm obligated. Now, he's not saying I'm financially obligated, I owe them a debt, um, I, you know, I'm supposed to pay them back somehow. But no, it's a moral obligation that he feels. He introduced himself at the beginning of our passage as an apostle of the gospel of Christ. And he says, I am so burdened by people needing to know who Jesus is that I am obligated I am so compelled to be able to share with both Greeks, people who are very educated, who have, uh, you know, really researched all the philosophy and history and understand uh, all sorts of things about academia, but he says it's also relevant for barbarians. Now, barbarians, that's kind of an offensive term. Uh, he's saying people that we would consider uh, even Neanderthal, people who uh, don't really maybe even can't read or write. Uh, he's saying people need the gospel, no matter if they've studied a lot or if they've studied uh, little. Every single person on the planet can only be saved from eternal punishment by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way. So first he says both the Greek and the barbarian, and we're, we're translating and saying both educated and the simple. And then he says both the wise and the foolish. You can write that down in your outline, both the wise and the foolish. Now, this is a little bit different than that first contrast, because wise is people who would consider themselves clever, or good with words, or um, thinking that they can have the gift of gab, or uh, figure their way to uh, get out of sticky situations. These people think that they're wise, uh, and there's a lot of pride puffing them up, thinking, oh, I am so, I'm so great, you know, all these things, look, at, look what I can do. Um, but uh, both the wise and the foolish, and, and when we say foolish, this is people uh, that maybe really are stupid or really are um, not, not understanding. And uh, the, the term in Greek there is an onomatopoeia, which means that uh, it's basically saying people that speak gobbledygook. Okay, people that really don't know what's going on. Those people desperately need the gospel as well. Some of you have grown up with the gospel. Some of you grew up in the church and you understood from a very young age that God loves us 
and that he provided a way for us to be saved, as Jonathan was sharing earlier. Well, if you haven't grown up in the church, if you don't have a good grasp of the gospel, I want to give you a chance. Turn your outline over, and on the back of your outline, we have a simple acronym uh, that explains the different elements of the gospel. So let me just walk through these. First, we see that God created us to be with him. That's the reason that we've been designed. God created us to be with him, just like my hands can be like this in a relationship. Um, and that's what we see in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve enjoying this perfect relationship with God. But then what happened? As we know, when we look to Scripture, we see that Adam and Eve chose, instead of having a relationship with God, they pursued their own way, seeking instead their own thoughts for what would make them happy. And that sin separates us from God. There was no way for us to get back into that relationship with God, and God had to send the people away because sin is anything that is other than the character of God. Okay, So our sin separates us from God, and that sin cannot be removed by good deeds. People have tried for thousands of years to chant, to pray, to meditate their way into heaven, to meditate their way uh, out of uh, feeling guilty, feeling sinful. But nothing was able to work. There is nothing that we can do in order to take our sin away. So what, we, what did we need? We needed a perfect sacrifice, someone to come and pay our debt for us. So that's what Jesus did. Paying the penalty for that sin that we deserved to die and spend an eternity in hell. Uh, paying the penalty for sin, Jesus uh, came, lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death and rose again, showing that he conquered sin and death. And uh, the Bible tells us that everyone who trusts in Jesus alone can have eternal life. And that life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. That's something we can enjoy here on this earth as we continue uh, to, to get to know him, to talk with him, uh, to read about him in his word and hear what he has to say to us. But that is the gospel. If you've never understood that, you can trust Jesus right now. You can say, you know what, Lord? I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that you're a perfect God and that you can save me from my eternal separation from you that I deserve. And if we trust in Jesus alone, that is what will take our sin away, the only thing that can cleanse us and make us new again. And that is awesome, amen? That is why I stand here. That is why I get out of bed in the morning. That is why I live, because Jesus Christ has redeemed me and called me to himself to enjoy the life that he has designed for me. So that is the second group of people, the edu educated and the simple, the wise and the foolish, and then both Christians and non-Christians. Both Christians and non-Christians, the gospel is for. Now, some of you may say, wait a second, I thought the gospel was primarily things that we tell to people who don't know the Lord yet. And well, that's true, as we saw in those two other cases, that we should be sharing the gospel with people who don't already know him, but the gospel is not only what gets us saved, but it's what keeps us saved. It's God's power that holds us uh, in his arms. Many times we continue to sin, and as we were talking earlier with the, with the communion, we come to the Lord and we confess the things that we have done wrong because we continue 
to sin, uh, and we will continue to sin until the Lord comes back and makes us completely free from the presence of sin. But we see uh, there in verse 14, it says, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. As we saw earlier, he is writing this to Christians, people who already know the Lord. So why would he be interested in preaching the gospel to those Christians? Well, it's because the gospel encompasses all of the truth of who God is. It's how God has revealed himself to us. So he's very excited about preaching the gospel to those Christians. The gospel is how we see God's goodness. That is how we see who God is. Paul describes himself from the very beginning to, of Romans as Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And that's how we should think of ourselves. Not only is the gospel our mission that we want to deliver to these groups of people, but the gospel is our identity. We should be able to walk up to someone and say, Hi, my name is David, and I have been saved by the gospel of Jesus. And that is why I now live, to carry the gospel to others. We can do that, because if we have been called out of darkness into his glorious light, then we have the responsibility and the privilege to claim as our identity a child of God, someone who has been called and chosen to be brought into his family, adopted. He went out of his way to claim us out of the miry pit and bring us into his family. It is our identity. So now that we understand who needs the gospel, and we understand that it is our identity, what are we going to do about that? What are we going to do? Now that we understand that um, everyone needs the gospel, how are we going to carry that out? Well, I'd like you to write down three words. Pray, pursue, and can anybody guess the last one? Persuade. I heard a few people. We've, uh, we've shared this with you before, but I think it's incredible and extremely biblical. So the first thing we want to do with the gospel to people who don't know it is to pray for them. We see in this passage in Romans chapter 1, it is the power of God that saves people. And not our power. It's not how well we can convince someone of, of the truth. It's not how well we can deliver it. It's the power of God. So we want to pray for this person. Be continually praying for them. That's not something we tinker around with and then go do something else. Praying is something that we continue to do no matter how long it takes in season or out of season. So pray. Second thing is to pursue that person, to pursue them in a relationship. Um, continue to enjoy being friends with them, uh, helping them out. Um, and that's what we mean by uh, pursuing them. Um, and uh, then at some point, we are praying that God will give us the opportunity to persuade them. Um, and what I mean by persuade is to, to share with them the truth. And that persuade can break down into three more. So if you're ready, you can write down three more words, and these all start with the letter A, so made it a little easy for you. So those three are ask, admire, and then admit. Ask, admire, and admit. So first, in a conversation with someone where you're seeking to persuade them of the gospel, you can ask them, 
hey, what is it that you believe? What is it that you believe about God? Where do you think we're going when we die? Where do you think we all came from? And that's asking. And I think this is way easier. Uh, Some people have the strategy of, well, I'm going to research all the world religions, try to know them all really well, and then I'll be able to go share the gospel with the people who believe those things. And that's not really a good idea because there are so many different things to believe out there, and there's only one truth. So what we can do, we can take the strategy of people who are researching counterfeit money. You ever heard about these people? They can go and they can look at a piece of money, and they can tell whether or not it is real. And how can they do that? It's not by studying all the different counterfeits and knowing, oh, I remember this is one I studied back in 72 that I can remember back to this is what it looked like. No. They study so hard the authentic copy of money so that they can know whenever they see a counterfeit. And that's what we should do. We should know the gospel so well that we can spot a counterfeit. So my challenge to you there is to ask them, what do they believe? And then to admire that and say, you know what? I think that's great that you think it's important what we believe about God. I think it's amazing that you believe that there's only one God or that your belief about God should, uh, should impact all the other areas of your life. But then you've got to take it one step further. And it doesn't sound very tolerant, doesn't sound very politically correct, but you need to take that third step and admit, this is what I believe. This is what I see in the Bible. This is how my life has changed. So ask, admire, and then admit what you have seen to be the truth as God has revealed it to you. So those are some action steps. Those are some things that you can carry out now that you understand who it is that needs the gospel. So to claim the gospel as both your identity and your mission, we need to first identify your mission field. Second, understand who needs the gospel, and third, trust God's power to save. Trust God's power to save. As many of you know, Emily and I uh, just recently purchased a home over there uh, in Aurora, just a couple minutes down the road, and uh, we're really enjoying it, uh, thanks to uh, Kathy Brothers. She helped us out finding a house, and uh, so really excited about that. But, as many of you also know, Owning a house comes with a lot of different responsibilities. For example, cleaning the house, paying the utility bills, keeping up uh, the landscape. So all these things are true. There's more responsibilities. Well, in my quest to take care of the lawn, take care of the landscape, I acquired a lawnmower to be able to mow all the lawn so that it wouldn't get all overgrown and crazy and have the city, you know, get me in trouble or anything like that. So I acquired uh, a real mower. Do you guys know what that is? R-E-E-L. It's these old-school mowers that is designed to be um, powered completely by uh, the person who's operating it, something like you might see in the Andy Griffith show. It's really old-school. So, uh, so this is what I had, and so I got out there, and I was uh, plugging away. So I was mowing, and uh, wasn't doing a whole lot. I'm like, oh, that's, that stinks. So I went over it again, and I kind of cut a little more, but it really wasn't doing the job. And I thought, maybe I just need to push harder. So I would be going really fast down the, and my neighbors are like looking at me like, what is that guy doing? So I just kept doing it, and finally, uh, the first time I did it, a couple minutes later, my neighbor came over and said, hey, we got a real lawnmower. Do you, you want to use that? I, okay, great. So I did that. And then the second week, 
I went again, and I tried the real mower, and it really wasn't working. So my other neighbor came over and said, hey, we got a lawnmower. You want to borrow it? And so I said, okay, well, maybe that's not working. So I needed to take it to the next level. So I acquired, uh, after that, a gas-powered lawnmower, something from the age of technology, right? And uh, so there I have this gas-powered lawnmower. Yes, it takes the, the power of the gas, but this, this mower promises that it will do all the work. And I thought, that's great. So that's what I did. I started mowing, and man, it cut all of it right away at the first try. I didn't have to go over it like five times. So, um, so there I was, and it's working really well. But then after a couple weeks, I started to notice it's kind of hard to push. It's almost like I'm fighting against it. So I'm like pushing it. I'm like, okay, maybe I just need to push a little harder. I'll do that. Well, then after a couple weeks, my shoulders started to get sore. I'm like, am I not doing this right? Am I not pushing it right? Is, is something wrong? And I realized it was a self-propelled mower, okay? So not only did this mower promise that it was going to do all the cutting for me, it was also going to provide all the power to move the mower. And so now I've been, uh, been using that mower, and it's been working great, okay? Because you've got to use it in the right way. Now, why do I tell you about this? It's because many times in our Christian life, or actually even before we're Christians, we have something like that first mower. We say, you know what? I'm going to try to earn my way to God. I'm going to try really hard. Maybe I can be good enough. Maybe if I just push harder, I will be able to do the job of getting rid of my sin. Maybe I will be able to please God if I just push harder. And it doesn't work. Okay? Then we need to take it to the next level. and We say, you know what? I will trust in the work of Jesus. It's his power that is going to accomplish salvation for me. But then... As we start living it out, we think, oh, we are still the ones who got to push it. Yeah, I'm trusting in God, but I got to share the gospel on my own strength. I need to serve in church with my own plans, my own thoughts. I need to abandon my sin with my own strategies. But that's not how it is. We instead look to the power of God. We trust God's power to save and not our own power. Otherwise, our shoulders are going to get really sore as we try to, no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but yeah, otherwise it just won't work. So rather than trying to push harder, let's yield to God's power just like Paul did. Let's trust God's power to save. So there's two things I'd like you to see, one from verse 16 and one from verse 17. And here's the first thing from verse 16. Only God can save people. Only God can can save people. We see that in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the and also to the Greek. Paul's not ashamed of it. This passage right here is kind of the climax. It's the uh, thesis of the manifesto of uh, of Romans. And Paul in this says, you know what? I am not ashamed of the gospel, even though the gospel looks weak. All right, we can admit it. We can understand sometimes the gospel looks weak to people around us because we're basically saying, I have a problem called sin that I can't see, and I am going to trust in a God who I can't see to take away my sin, again, something I can't see, and take me to heaven to be in a relationship with him, something that I can't see. Now, you try to explain that to an average person on the street, and they'll say, what are you doing with your life? 
right? They'll say, you're foolish. Why are you investing in things you can't even see? Shouldn't you be living it up? Shouldn't you be enjoying life the way that you can? Just whatever it is that you can have fun, just go out and do that. No. We see in another passage of Scripture, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says the word of the cross is folly. It's not really folly. It is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's this awesome thing that we can trust in. Even though we can't see it, we know it's true because God has revealed himself through his power. Every human being, every rescued from the flames of hell is rescued through the power of Jesus Christ. And as Propaganda, an artist that many of our students are familiar with, says, and everyone, anyone and everyone, and by everyone, I mean everyone who puts their faith and trust in him, in him alone, can stand in full confidence of God's forgiveness. And here's what the promise is, that you are guaranteed full access to return to perfect unity, unity with God, by simply believing in Christ and Christ alone, you are receiving life. Yes, life. When it says to the Jew first and also to the Greek, that speaks of how God revealed himself first to the Jews. Then, uh, over the course of salvation history, he revealed himself to all the Gentiles as well. And we can be a part of his family be, by trusting in his power to save us. So that's the first thing. Only God can save people. And while there's a lot of other things that only God can do, we're going to talk about one more. Only God can reveal God. Now, I mean, it's not a little strange. Only God can reveal God. That's true. God is the only one who can say, you know what? I'm going to take off your blinders. God is there, but it's, it's like in a dark room. There can be furniture around. There can be things sitting there. But you can't see it unless a light is turned on. God is the only one who can turn the light onto himself and say, look, here I am. Here is what I'm like. And in verse 17, we see the way that God reveals God. And it's through the gospel. He says this, For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel is the light that God uses to turn on and to reveal himself to people. So the righteousness of God includes three different things, okay? You don't have to write these down, but it's pretty easy to remember. The righteousness of God includes who God is, what he does, and how he does it, okay? Who God is, that's his character, his uh, attributes. What God does is his activity, and that third one is how God does that, how he saves people. And that's, he saves people through a relationship with God as a free gift of grace, so uh, just to wrap up uh, what, the, what that passage means, from faith to faith, that kind of sounds like interesting, but it means people who are coming to God with their hands empty, saying, Lord, I offer nothing. I need faith from you to be able to trust you, and I'm trusting you 
because I have nothing to offer. That's from faith for faith. So we've already talked through a number of ways to trust God to save, but I want to give you just two more this morning, two very practical and even tangible ones. The first is that we have been working through what we've called our Finding 12 initiative or our Finding 12 project. And so in the back here, we have a little bags filled with uh, stones that you can take. And each of these represents one person that you can share the gospel with over the course of the next few months. And we are seeking by Easter uh, of 2014 for everyone to be able to share the gospel with at least 12 people. And once you do that, you can write that person's name on the stone and you can drop it in the display there and we can see in a very real and tangible way the ways that God has been working, the ways that God has been using us to bring the gospel to our mission field, to our circle of influence, to those three people we are praying for. So I would challenge you, if you haven't already, go ahead and grab one of those. Uh, And if you already have, uh, put it in a prominent place in your house so you can be seeing, oh yeah, I'm called to my circle of influence to be sharing the gospel with them. So that's the first thing, is finding 12. And the second thing is called Back to Church Sunday. You guys all saw a little video earlier, Back to Church Sunday. Some of you may even have the uh, song stuck in your head, Back to Church Sunday. And, uh, but what we're doing is we're welcoming people. Hey, we want to welcome you back to church. You are welcome to come be here with us. And we have uh, about 400 of these invitations. Actually, it's a little less than that because I used uh, three of them yesterday. I invited three uh, families in my neighborhood to come to our Back to Church Sunday. And we're going to have some refreshments here. That will be great. We're going to have our children's worship up and running by then. That will be great. But... The thing that we have to offer, the thing that we have to give as a gift to our guests is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why we do these things. That is why we're here this morning. It's because of who God is and what he's doing. So go ahead as you're walking out. The ushers are going to give you uh, three of these. Take those. You can give them to those people in your cause circle. You can give them to other people in your neighborhood that you see. And what I did was I wrote a little note here at the bottom said, hey, Hope you can join us, Uh, and then my name and my phone number if they had any questions. But this is a great way to give a personal touch uh, and invite them to be with us. So even through these outreaches, we're not trying to do this on our own strength. We're not trying to come up with ways. We are looking to God's word and seeing what are ways that we can carry out the challenge God has given us. And and we believe these are going to be effective ways as we pray and we submit to God's power and trusting him. Now, let me go back to, uh, to tell you what happened with uh, Ira Yates. Okay, you guys ready to hear what happened? At 1,115 feet, the researchers on Ira Yates' property struck a gigantic oil reserve that he had been sitting on for years. The first well came in at, get this, 80,000 barrels of oil a day. 80,000 barrels of oil a day, but that was only the beginning. They kept uh, drilling all around, and they found many more wells, and uh, some were even more than twice as productive as the first. So then a little bit later, in the 1960s, 
um, after oil had been pumped for over 30 years, a government test of just one of the wells showed that it still had a potential of 125,000 barrels of oil a day. And to think, the man who used to be a sheep farmer owned it all and had been sitting on top of it for who knows how long. When Yates purchased the ranch, he was more interested in grazing uh, land for his, sheeps than for his sheep than he was um, in, uh, in the oil and the mineral rights. Um, but there he was, living on government subsidy, but sitting on a mammoth underground lake of valuable oil. He was a potential multimillionaire, but he was living in poverty with no money even for clothes or food. What was his problem? What was his problem? It was that he did not know the oil was there. He did not understand that that's what he had underneath him. And as Christians, we need to understand the gospel is our identity. The gospel is our mission. We have this incredible treasure right underneath our feet if we will only claim it as our identity and our mission. May we never consider ourselves bankrupt of the identity that God has given to us. May we never let ourselves forget the incredible mission God has called us to, but instead, may we claim the gospel as our identity and our mission so that we're not powerless impostors, but instead, proud of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful. We know that we come to you with empty hands, with nothing to offer. But you have given us instead this incredibly valuable identity, this incredibly valuable mission. And Lord, we submit ourselves to you. We ask that you would take us, that you would use us, that you would remind us of who we are in you and what you have done in our lives. Lord, I pray for both our Finding 12 and our uh, Back to Church Sunday uh, events. I pray that you would use those things, that you would use us, your people, to do your work. And it's not the flyers that save, it's not the rocks, it's not even us trying hard, it's your power. And we entrust everything that we have and everything that we are to you. It's your name that we pray all these things. Amen.